Buff Stampede Radio is again brought to you today by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. It's ever customizable, ever comfortable, and everything you could want in a pillow. I actually have been sleeping on an EverPillow for over a month now. Definitely noticed myself tossing and turning less at night ever since I got my EverPillow. With other pillows in the past, it was often a struggle to find the right angle and feel completely comfortable throughout the course of the night. The EverPillow has afforded me a better night's sleep. EverPillow is all natural and customizable. You can just add or remove the natural feel to make your pillow how you want. It's amazing and made in Colorado. Visit Infinite Moon or the link on the podcast to get your EverPillow now. Use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. They offer a 100-day risk-free trial and free shipping. Again, visit InfiniteMoon.com. Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. For your highlight show tonight. Brucon to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! There's a snap. It's by Nip. He has to chase it inside the 10. He dives on it. It is loose. And it is picked up by Jacob Callier. Callier's got it to four-yard line. A turnover. And the freshman with another big play for Colorado. Oh, there's Lindsey. He's gone. Lindsey's gone. Montez with all kinds of time. Bears back, rifles it downfield. Shea Fields over the left shoulder, makes the grab. Runs away from a defender at the 10. Into the end zone. Big play, Shea. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster-Tiger, publisher of buffstampede.com. Here's always with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Tyler, it's been a couple months since our last podcast. Looking forward to uh, catching up here. Yeah, for sure. It's been a little bit. Summertime is a little light, I guess, for football stuff. But uh, it's been, uh, you know, we had our little Eastern Conference Finals battle. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not talking about that. Me neither. Don't worry. Good news is you don't have to get destroyed by the Warriors. So... Well, we are recording this on the roof of Tyler Ziskin's fantastic downtown Denver pad. This is a way to do a podcast right here. Yeah, man. Missing the, the mojito, or we, we need a drink up here, a cocktail. It's gorgeous out today, for sure. It's been a quiet off season for the Buffaloes. Last year, we had the whole Joe Tumpkin saga, the coaching extension situation. The year before that was the Davis Webb saga. The year before that was Josh Tupo getting suspended. I think you'd have to say it's a good thing, right, that we haven't had a whole lot to talk about recently. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not uh, Joe Tumpkin news, you know, so it's from that perspective, it's definitely a nice feeling. It's hard to really get a get a grasp on what that means, though, I guess. Um, you know, it's. I think there's definitely more of a quiet mindset of we have to get better each and every day compared to last year where, you know, there's a lot more confidence, I think, about what this program was now. Uh, it turned out to be false confidence, so... I think it's a good sign that they're just kind of getting down to work this summer. And speaking of Davis Webb, and maybe this should be the last time I ever mention him twice on the same podcast, uh, but we're not going to have a Davis <laughs> Webb part two. Trayvon McMillan is in Boulder. I have a story up on buffstampede.com, went up on Thursday. 
just how big of a deal is it to have a running back with that experience, that talent, to enter the program, especially obviously given Philip Lindsay's departure? Yeah, I mean, we haven't really gotten to see exactly what he's going to bring to the table yet, but from all accounts, he's going to be a guy who steps right into that starting position and gives us a little bit of solidity there. Uh, you know, we didn't really know exactly how the running back core was going to look this year. Um, would have been a lot of inexperience either way, either guys coming off injury who hasn't had a ton of snaps or, um, you know, a freshman who hadn't played at all yet. We, you know, we like the talent there, but it's nice to, I think, get him in there. He's obviously a guy who's played in a big-time program, has a lot of big game experience. We both said that he would have been number five on our Top Buffs countdown list voting. We keep it limited to guys that are on campus for spring. So our expectations are pretty high for him, obviously. Starting with discussion on that countdown, we, we started with 40, and that was running back special team standout Bo Bisharat. 39 was offensive lineman Josh Kaiser. 38 was tight end Jared Poplowski. 37, safety Aaron Maddox. 36, nose tackle Lyle Tuiloma. 35, quarterback Tyler Lytle. 34, defensive lineman Jace Frankie. 33, wide receiver Tony Brown. 32, offensive lineman Colby Purcell. 31, defensive lineman Terrence Lang. 30 was offensive lineman William Sherman, 29 defensive back Dante Wigley, and then on Thursday put up 28. That was nose tackle Javier Edwards. Hopefully y'all are checking those videos that we put together out. And there's been some good discussion on the Inside the Herd message board on buffstampede.com. What has stood out to you through from the process of making your 40 list to you know shooting these early videos and seeing that commentary that's been going on on the board? What's been your big picture look at, at this year's list, maybe compared to previous years? Well, I think there's a lot more depth this year. I feel pretty comfortable that some of the guys in the 30s are going to contribute for this team. Like, I think in years past, it was kind of a projection about whether or not some of these guys would pan out. Now, there's a lot of solid talent in the fold, I think, at CU. They're definitely a lot deeper. There's more guys that are you can rely on. But I think the question for this particular group is, do they have enough star power to take that next step? I would say the one guy on the list so far that I think is most underrated, I would say Colby Purcell. And I get it. You mentioned this on our video that, hey, he's a redshirt freshman. I just want to see the guy play. And I get that. But to me, he's top 25 guy on this football team, maybe even top 20. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the number one reason this team was successful this year, to be honest. I mean, you know, you're kind of the quarterback of the line as a center. Um, If he can, you know, show up command you know command the guys to respect him show leadership qualities as a freshman you got to feel pretty good about how the line's going to improve as the year goes along uh you know solidifying that interior part of the line is will be big for this running game and for the offense in general protecting montez uh so to me yeah i mean he, he could have a huge impact in the year i just need to see some of that looking you know in the future i think Jared Poplowski is a guy that's going to continue to move up this list as he goes throughout his career. Yeah. I think Lyle Tuiloma at 36 after Edwards exhausts his eligibility this year is probably your front runner to be a starter in 2019. Tony Brown is only going to have a year after 2018, kind of with that deep wide receiver pool. Uh, I think he could be a, he's going to probably be a starter most likely in 2019. I mentioned Purcell. Terrence Lang, of course, has a ton of potential. William Sherman at 30. He's a guy that's going to continue to move up this list. Uh, Aaron Maddox probably is going to be a starter at some point down the road. So there's a lot of guys in this that are more depth pieces, probably going to be starters at some point. Yeah, I think you got to feel confident that some of these guys in the 30s are going to be big parts of the program moving forward, which is kind of what you want, right? You want to see all oh, this young guy who has a ton of talent 
Uh, maybe he's not starting this year, putting up huge productive numbers, but down the line he's going to be a guy that really helps this program. We had a couple commitments happen shortly after our, we recorded our last podcast. K.J. Trujillo and Brandon Huffman-Dixon both committed to CU since that last show. Trujillo, a top 100 California recruit. Most thought he was an Oregon lock. Uh, he's picked up more power conference offers since committing to the bus, but he told Greg Biggins that he's as solid as can be, doesn't plan to take other trips. Six foot plus, long arms, fits that McIntyre mold as, as a cornerback recruit. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of plays into how much you like to commit these days. We've learned pretty quickly what McIntyre has success with um, throughout his career here in those long corners. And I don't think he's missed on one yet, really. So um, feel pretty good about that overall, uh, especially from the high school ranks. So to me, he's a guy who's going to have a big-time future at Colorado. He's obviously you know, sought after by a lot of other Pac-12 programs, too. So big, big commit for us. Unlike Trujillo, Huffman-Dixon, he still plans to take some other trips. He's got schools like Arizona State, Oregon, Purdue, all making a big push for him. He's a four-star recruit, had early offers from Georgia and USC. Smooth route runner, has solid speed for his size. Maybe a little bit of a prima donna. The uh, highlight video that's out there where he's in a seven-on-seven seven tournament wearing sunglasses and he catches a touchdown. And I don't know, man. I don't know if I like that look. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> you know, obviously guys are still loving him and it takes a little bit of swagger to be successful as a wide receiver I think. In, I think that's the one position that you can right. kind of deal with that, you right? You can certainly get away with it a lot more. Corner it seems like too those guys are just, there's a lot of personality in those in those rooms I think. Yeah, it's a, he's a little bit eccentric for my <laughs> taste probably but to me he's a guy who's actually dropped down lists a little bit lately I think people are just concerned about all, how that's all going to play out at the next level but he's obviously a guy who has a ton of talent and Cheverini, you know, just keeps churning out those big four-star wide receiver commits, so it's good for us. There was also a late junior college addition, Kerry Cush. He's the replacement for Isaac Miller, who, of course, had to medically retire. Sad deal there. Cush is 6'5", 300 pounds, played his freshman season at Butte College. Kind of like former buff Addison Gillum. He's from the Redding area in California, way up there north. Just didn't get a lot of exposure as a high school prospect. His high school team ran the wing T2, which doesn't help you as a line prospect to kind of show your versatility. Uh, at Butte College, he was an all-conference selection in 2017, and he's going to have four to play three with the Buffs. I've talked to sources. I mean, they expect him to come in, be a legitimate candidate to start from day one. But you do have guys like Aaron Hagler, Josh Kaiser, Jake Moretti, guys that have been in the system. I think that gives them a leg up. But you got at least... Another body there with Miller's situation, you had to be a little concerned with the depth there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a little concerning to me that there's a lot of guys who I think have a chance to be a starter right now. So it could work out and it's like, oh, we found five guys that we were really confident. Or it could be, ah, I'm not really confident in any of these guys and we'll just have to throw them out there and see how they play. You know, we'll see. The offensive line we all know is going to be a huge question mark leading into the year, and it'll say a lot about how successful this program is in 2018-2019. So hopefully he can come in and prove right away that he's, you know, head and shoulders above the rest of these guys and get a start. Someone's got to. If you're going to take an offensive lineman from a junior college that qualified out of high school and could have theoretically signed back in December, you at least want to hear that he's not at one of those JUCOs where everybody's gone through. At least this is Butte College. It's kind of away from Sacramento, and not a lot of colleges go there, right? If it wasn't the exposure standpoint, I think you'd be a little bit more concerned with this signing. Right, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if everybody in the conference had obviously seen this kid play and took a pass and now we're taking a chance on him, you got to be a little bit more concerned. But that doesn't seem to be the case, so 
McIntyre's done a good job of finding those guys, kind of those diamonds in the rough. So we'll see how it plays out. Back-to-back years, Colorado has a quarterback commit that gets an invitation to the Elite 11 Finals. Of course, Ty Evans earns that invite. He's going to be out in Redondo Beach, California this weekend, actually. Blue chip status is probably around the corner. It sounds like as long as he doesn't embarrass himself out there, which I I can't imagine is going to happen, that he'll most likely be a four-star guy very soon. Everybody that's been involved with that event seems to think that he has a chance to do pretty well there. Um, Obviously, anytime you're invited to that event, you have to be considered a pretty close to being a four-star prospect in my opinion everybody's freaking out about how he'd be a four-star if he was committed elsewhere I mean to be honest I mean if you think about how these kids are ranked between when he's committed to us and now there hasn't there hasn't been a whole lot that's happened on a football field so why would he be bumped other than you know just you know moving back and forth and all this you know the offer list and all that kind of stuff so he'll have this chance to prove that he deserves to be a four-star in summer camps throughout the year obviously at this Elite 11 performance, which is this weekend, right? Right. Yeah, so, I mean, we'll know pretty quick whether or not he gets that bump. It has nothing to do with him being committed to Colorado. I will say the offers that he's gotten, particularly some of those SEC programs, has me higher on kind of him than Elite 11 finals invite, to be honest with you. It's not real football. It's a lot of seven-on-seven stuff, which I think it's overhyped, honestly. Um, and maybe the Shane Dillon invite getting there and then <laughs> seeing him come to Colorado. I know he had the shoulder injury, but that wasn't a blue chip type guy. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's a cool thing for the program, though, without question. Mm-hmm. It's, it helps with Ty Evans being a catalyst for this recruiting class to say I have these offers and I was in Elite 11 finals. And if he does great out there, that's another thing he can kind of sell these other yeah. recruits on. Right, definitely. Anytime you can, you know, add another feather to the cap, you know, people will believe you more and more if you keep having success everywhere you go in these competitions. So we'll see how it plays out. I mean, at the end of the day, though, he's going to be the same kid, whatever he's ranked, coming into Colorado. So if he's successful and everybody else is wrong, great. Yeah. It's kind of against what we do at 24-7 Sports to talk that way, but, I mean, you got to be realistic about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he probably should be a four-star, but I'm not going to lose any sleep over it, you know what I mean? TCU and Oklahoma State are trying to get – Cameron Farrar to change his mind. He's a kid from Texas that committed to the Buffs. They expect him to be a Buff backer. Like you said, it seems like everybody they recruit nowadays, they protect as a Buff backer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And right now, with TCU being intriguing to him, an in-state program, uh, are you? Do you? What do you think the chances are that Cameron Farrar sticks? And how concerned are you, honestly? Uh, it'll depend a lot on how we play this year, I think, which is probably fair. Um, I will say that TCU having interest in Cameron Farrar makes me have more interest in him. Okay. They play buff backer. You could slide that right into TCU's defense, and they'd be you know balling out down there. So the style of defense that they play, very aggressive, you know, up at the line of scrimmage. They're trying to make you feel them. Um, so anybody that TCU likes on defense, you got to feel pretty good about as a prospect. The Buffs hosted five official visitors in April, and they are set for a really big recruiting month in June, of course. Again, this is the first time from April through June 21st or something like that you can host official visitors. We're going to kind of tease some of that content like we do on the show sometimes. Definitely check out buffstampede.com throughout the course of June. And we got camps going on. You're going to try to make it up to a couple of them with me as well. Um, so it's a fun month. It's a busy month for the coaches now with these official visitors. Uh, it, it plays into CU's hands. I know you're not going to have a full student body on campus, but... 
especially if you're recruiting against the Arizona schools for a kid, like you bring them out in Boulder in June and then they go down to Tucson or Tempe, I mean, that's a pretty big leg up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the weather in Boulder is beautiful almost year-round, so even in the spring, or I mean, in the fall, you typically would get good weather, but in June, you don't have to worry about much at all. And worst case scenario is you're going to have a gorgeous thunderstorm for a couple hours, and then the rest of the time it's going to be sunny, you know what I mean? So, to me, there's no better time to sell Boulder than right now. The spring evaluation period is ending up, and it's interesting, because of the early signing period, Colorado had all but one guy, right? Hassan Hippolyte signed in December, so they used January basically as the old spring evaluation period to get a jump start on the 2019 recruits. So you do that. By the time the spring evaluation period comes here, you're spending more time recruiting 2020 guys than you normally would have under the old timeline. And so everything's kind of accelerated. Mm-hmm. But football is a sport where some guys develop when they're 17, 18 yeah. years old. So as a power of conference program to keep up with the Joneses, you have to take advantage of this accelerated timeline, yet power five schools are going to fill up earlier and they're going to be guys that develop later. This is going to lend itself to parity in college football, even more so than it's been. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. And then in college, in basketball, guys sign, you don't see a whole lot of decommitting and committing elsewhere in basketball and football. It happens a lot, especially late in the process because of that fact. You've had a kid committed for two years. Turns out, okay, maybe he peaked a little bit early. You know, you see three or four kids fall off USC and UCLA's commit list close to signing day every single year simply because they really honestly don't want them anymore. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more of that in football recruiting as well. Like that that second signing day, February, that two weeks beforehand is going to be pretty hectic, I think, with people trying to find spots. In-state prospect Jake Wiley is a guy to keep an eye on now. He... Emerged with three offers in one day. Colorado, Oklahoma State, and Washington State all offered. He's a 6'5", 250-pound offensive lineman from Eagle Crest High School. What's interesting is I've seen Eagle Crest play three times the last two years. You watch other guys, but I'm ISOing in on Barrett Miller, and then you hear about this Reese Atterbury kid, and you're kind of focused on him. I've seen Wiley, and he kind of looks the part, but I was like, that kind of caught me off guard. I'm glad that he's yeah. going to be at CU's camp on June 10th. We can kind of get a look at that. I don't really know what to make of him at this point. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, when kids are 15, none of them really look like they should be playing college football, you know? Yeah. So there's, there becomes that point, and it's just like one day in a high school kid's life, all of a sudden he starts to look like he's going to be a beast. And some some of it gets later than others. And, you know, like, I think to me, linemen, even as a bigger guy, are the most difficult to project because you just never know how their body is going to transform. You know, it's not natural to be that big. And you have to, some of these guys have to spend their whole life trying to lose weight. Some of them have to spend their whole life trying to gain weight to be at that 300-pound level. So it's a little bit interesting. And, you know, some guys who we think are going to be studs end up not working out and vice versa. So to me, you've got to let those guys develop and see how it goes. But I, I haven't had a chance to see him yet, so it'll be nice to see him on June 10th. Do you have a, a CU recruiting wish list? You know, are there certain guys – it doesn't have to be a long list. Are there certain guys that – have visited, are visiting, or at least have Colorado listed that you go, okay, this could be a, a real big part of this recruiting class if they're able to, to sign them? Yeah, I mean, speaking of Eagle Crest, we just talked about them. I think Barrett Miller probably has to be on there. You always want to get those big-name in-state offensive linemen. That's what Colorado has always done well. If there's anything consistent about their recruiting, it's always that they have good offensive linemen. There's always programs coming in looking for big guys out of Colorado. 
And then to me, you got to show up the defensive line too. So pick your poison, whoever you want it to be, Stefan Wright, Ty Robinson, just big bodies. You got to get better in the trenches. Again, if you enjoy this podcast, you like the recruiting talk, kind of my sales pitch, I'm not a good salesman, Tyler. Sign up for buffstampede.com. Subscribe. Uh, we're going to have you covered. It's going to be a busy month of June. And, again, we're going to be out at those camps. And before you know it, again, camp is right around the corner. And uh, I'm very motivated. I feel like this is going to be a fun season. I don't know, just a gut feeling it's going to be a fun season to cover, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, I think uh, camp season is honestly my favorite part of the year. You get a chance to watch these kids in person for an extended period of time. Um, I've wrote so many notes about guys in the past that I wish I kept on. So this year I'm actually going to have talked to you about this earlier. I'm going to start keeping that stuff and seeing how things develop. Um, because, you know, you never know who ends up being a guy that's going to end up at Colorado. And I think it could make for a pretty cool story down the line someday. You know, maybe there'll be like all oh, this eighth grade kid that's here, you know, in one of these camps, you know, ends up being a guy who comes to Colorado. And we can talk about how we saw him for the first time six years ago or whatever it may be. So, yeah. I'm hoping to use that down the line, but just to kind of get an idea of, you know, how scouting really goes, see how kids develop. This next topic, Tyler, I was meaning to bring this up on our last podcast. I forgot to put it on the production plan. I have an idea for fixing the spring game experience a little bit. It's something that's been a pretty hot topic, right? Yeah, I'm curious to see what you have to say. I saw this on the production plan. I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> I'm intrigued. Let's see what you got. Okay, so... And this is meeting Mike McIntyre halfway. We know that because they only get 15 spring practices, he doesn't want to just have a throwaway day. They're going to scrimmage some, and he wants to have a practice portion. So, okay, warm up, do some drills, spend about, I don't know, half an hour, 40 minutes max on the practice portion. Before you get into the scrimmage action, we saw a little snippet of this, not in the 2018 spring game, but the 2017 spring game. I have a way I feel like it could at least provide some entertainment value to the spring game. It starts out, you're going to have the offensive linemen and defensive linemen, kind of like what we saw with Tim Lanott and Javier Edwards. They're going to go, it's going to be goal line pass drills. <laughs> and you're going to have old linemen going out for passes, defensive linemen trying to play defensive back. That's just the first part. We're going to have a quarterback accuracy challenge. Like, you know, do they still do that with the NFL guys in the offseason? Yeah, yeah. In That's a, pro a fun pro deal. Yeah. Try to hit the goalpost from midfield. Try to get in, in a bucket from far away. That type of stuff. you got a wide receiver and defensive back fastest man competition. So you have some real, like... It's the best part of every camp. Well, how many times have we wondered who has the best straight line speed in, in the team? Right. You would know. Yeah. You would know. Linebacker and tight end field goal competition... Wouldn't you love to see Rick Gamboa try to make a 30-yard field goal? Yes. Running back punting competition. So it's nothing crazy. It's maybe a half an hour of just watching these guys do things that they don't typically do. And you actually, with the wide receivers and defensive backs, and with the quarterbacks as well, get a glimpse into some of their skill set. Yeah, and it's just fun. Like, there's nothing wrong with making something a fun event, you know? Uh, you know, you you know, growing up in school or whatever, you had practice and everybody ran 20 suicides, right? But a lot of time at the end of practice, you would end with knockout, you know, from half court or whatever it may be. Just to try, you know, it's camaraderie thing. It's funny. Like, this, the fans kind of get an appreciation for the players. Everyone's smiling, having a good time. Instead of going through the motions. Like, you can tell McIntyre hates every little bit of the spring game. Just based on how it's designed right now. It'd be nice to maybe, like, have some fun with it. Yeah, and 
you're still going to have that practice portion that's going to bore some people. My girlfriend Liz brought her oldest son to the spring game this year, and she's not like a huge football fan, but she had a good idea. If they had like a program during that drill portion of here's what we're going to do, kind of break down the periods, and then throw in a tidbit about certain players. Watch Davion Taylor. He walked onto his junior college had to pay his way because his mother wouldn't let him play high school in football. He's on the CU track team. He, you know, like little things like that can, that can engage. I mean, the people that are listening to this podcast, this does not apply to them, but there are people uh-huh. like if you can get your wife to come to the spring game and make it more fun for her as well. Yeah. I think kind of maybe even going further on that idea, just in the wild drills are going on, just pull a guy aside. I mean, they sit out, and they sat out Phil Lindsay every year, basically, to avoid him getting hurt. Like, what if you pulled aside Davion Taylor in the middle of drills, had him talking to Mark Johnson, or whoever it may be, about something interesting on the jumbo screen? You didn't, he wouldn't even have they to have the Pac-12 feed. You could just put that up on the right, jumbo Right, sure. Or, yeah, you could have him talking to Pac-12, exactly. Or it could even be pre-recorded, if you wanted, it, you know, so he's not missing drills. I yeah. mean, I, I'm sure a coach would hate that. You know, just like that kind of stuff, get to know these guys a little bit while things are going on. That'd be awesome. And they did a really good job with the, the kids' healthy day in the uh, indoor practice facility. That was actually a really cool event. And they did a great job by bringing the basketball players, all the other student-athletes, to interact with these kids. That was a really cool thing. I'd honestly never been in there before. I just go to the press box in the past. I, I thought that was well done. Again, what I'm proposing here would take very little effort to put that mm-hmm. in there. And I think it would be a fun deal. So would that get you and, and your buddies up to Folsom? Yeah, I mean, that's fun. I mean, I would go if I wasn't working anyways, you know? like yeah. I'll, So it's not me, but yeah, I think that kind of stuff is fun, and it just changes the whole atmosphere of the situation. Everybody that's there can feel McIntyre is running through the motions and trying to show you as little bit that's interesting as possible. It would be nice to, you know, like you're not giving away game film, obviously, by having Phil Lindsay punt, you know? So it would be cool if they did yeah. that kind of stuff. You'd get some, you know, maybe bring back some former guys, talk about what they're doing now that aren't in football. Like, you know. They did is, one year, they did uh, like an alumni seven on seven deal. That was kind of cool. Yeah, you just, you know, you would have, I don't know, Scotty McKnight come back and talk about whatever it is that he's doing with his life now. I think people would find that interesting. Yeah. So this offseason, there's been a lot of talk about just the Pac 12 conference in general and. Dennis Dodd had that CBS Sports article about we're trending towards it not even being a Power 5 anymore. I think that's extreme. I mean, that's an overreaction to the bowl record from the conference last year. Yeah, I mean, they, they, were in, they had a team in the Final Four two years yeah. ago, so that's a little bit but difficult to say. I guess my question for you, Tyler, is just how real are some of those concerns? What, what can be done? I mean, I would say they're a little bit real. We're not doing as good a job, by we, I mean the Pac-12 conference as a whole, of keeping guys from California and these hotbed sections in the Pac-12. I mean, you see Alabama having success, Texas having success, Ohio State having success in these states. So I think they need to do a little bit better of a job with that. Um, And I think in response, they need to go get some guys from those states too. They will focus a little. The focus in the Pac-12 seems to be more reliant on their footprint than in other conferences. To me, there's been a lot of talk about the kickoff times. Unfortunately, I think that's just a necessary evil. I, TV rules college football. I don't think there's really any way to get away from that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot of ugly games on at 10 a.m. You know, East Coast games, and obviously you can't play 10 a.m games live here on the west coast but i think it'd be nice to see them have a few more afternoon games it seems like there's a lot of 
early games, and usually the one that 130 to four time slot is usually a little bit lighter for whatever reason. I'd be kind of I'd have to look more into it, I guess, to prove that. But to me, it seems like everything's at 6 p.m. or it's early in the day. Philip Lindsay is going to attempt to make the Denver Broncos roster. What do you think the odds are on him actually making the the final cut? I mean, I don't know enough about the other running backs, honestly, but if you cut Philip Lindsay, you don't know anything about football. Like, I legitimately believe that, dude. How he's tiny, he though, Tyler. He is, for sure. But, I mean, he's not – your fourth-string running back's not playing anyway. You're going to tell me that Philip Lindsay doesn't help your locker room more than anyone else. I don't care who it is, anyone else that you could put out there. There's just no way that that kid doesn't make other people better just by being around the locker room. Does he make the team by showing that he can be a returner? Is that his ticket I mean, to making an NFL team? I can't. I mean, he wasn't great at it in college. So if that's really all it comes down to, I don't love the confidence level there, I guess. But to me, he's going to get out on the field and perform. And the Broncos have about as bad a running back room as any in the NFL. So for him, situationally, it's a great spot to be in. I hope they give him a chance. Even if it's practice squad, I mean, that's, you know. People move up in the practice squad all the time. That gives a kid a chance. That's I don't. I guess I don't know if that counts as making the team to you, but it would to me. Nelson Spruce signed on with the Los Angeles Chargers, so he's still getting some opportunities. Uh, hopefully, he can find a way to make that team. I I don't know anything about the Chargers personnel, so I have literally no idea. Yeah, he's been out of the are. game for a little bit, so it's going to be tough for him to break back in for sure. But well, he was with the Bears practice squad last year. Yeah, for a brief period of time, right? Or was it the whole year? I think it was the majority of the season. Oh, okay, nice. For whatever reason, I thought that was just like towards the end of the year maybe. But I hope, yeah, I mean, I hope someone gives him an opportunity because he obviously was a beast in college. Before we get into the mailbag, let's quickly talk about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn the ban on sports betting. We have not heard definitively what that means in the state of Colorado, but, I mean, you got to assume probably within the next year or so that it's going to be legalized here, you would think? Uh, I mean, I don't know if anything will move that quickly. I hope it does, obviously, as a biased person in this whole deal. But, yeah, I mean, you know, Rick George had some interesting comments to say. I had to, I had to tweet back with, don't make me hate you, Rick. I, you know I love you. I actually <laughs> missed that. What, what happened there? He, it was an article basically about how he had a lot of reservations about it being legalized. And just like how there's going to be have to, a lot of steps in place to make sure that the integrity of the sport wasn't ruined and that kind of stuff. And I get that. Like, you have to be cognizant of that, but it, it, it's going to work out. And not to get too political on this, but it's like, have you ever heard somebody in your life say, I wish I could smoke marijuana, but I don't know how to get it, or I wish I could bet on a sports game, but I don't know how to do it? Yeah. So yeah. tax it and, like, benefit from it. Right. Maybe this is getting too political here. No, I mean, I don't. I mean, I I've never much. heard anybody ever say either of those two things. Right, yeah. I think it's one of those, it seems so common sense at this point. Like, that it has to happen. It should happen. People who want, just like marijuana, people who want to bet on sports are currently doing so. The people who don't want to bet on sports probably still won't. Uh, you know, maybe they'll throw a few bucks here and there on a big game, you know, like Broncos, Super Bowl, or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, people just don't all of a sudden turn into degenerate gamblers because now it's legal in Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, so. You certainly have to regulate it. I, I was actually golfing with Darrell O'Neill, obviously a former CU punter, and he's from Ireland. And he was talking about how over in Ireland, you could be sitting down with your Comcast or whatever their cable service is over there, and before a game... It prompts up on the TV. Do you want to bet on this game? 
That's a problem. When you can put that on your cable bill, that can create <laughs> right. people to have a betting problem really quickly. That's yeah. beyond what we Especially should be doing here. It could be anyone. <laughs> it's yeah. like little seven-year-old Johnny on his dad's account. <laughs> I'll bet three thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like that would probably go pretty poorly if that yeah. worked in the United States. I don't know though. I have to see more. I think I probably need more info on how that worked exactly. But. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a win-win for everybody involved to me. Like, it's already happening. Casinos make so much money on this stuff every year. Like, I saw a stat. I follow a lot of these guys on Twitter. Because Vegas hasn't lost a month in a sports book since 2013. Okay. That's whatever that is. Like, 60 consecutive months of winning profit. Like, imagine if you could guarantee each state in the United States... Basically free money. Just for people to be more entertained by a sporting event that's already happening. Nothing bothers me more than like hypocrites and hypocritical situations. And I mean, the lottery, you can go there and you have, I'm sorry, you don't have a chance to win that damn thing. And you can right. spend your paycheck on that thing. Yeah, and people do. I mean, that was my one of my jobs in college. I worked at King Supers as a customer service rep my first year in college when I was home for the summer. And to see some the, the types of people that would come in there, and that you can tell they're basically putting all the money they saved up for the week onto this lottery ticket to try and get lucky. And it's like, even the worst sports better is going to win 30% of the time. The worst. You know, most people go throughout their entire life without winning anything meaningful in a lottery ticket. Yeah. All right, let's move along to our Buff Stampede mailbag. We actually got some... Pretty good questions this time. Not to say that we always don't. I guess that came out a little snarky. Uh, CT Buff asked, true or false, C will win more games in 2018 than they did in 2017. So he's more or less asking, does Colorado go to a bowl game? Mm-hmm. If you're going to make me choose between the two, I will say yes. I think probably the most likely scenario is five wins. Really? Five, five okay. or six. If you were to put like a you know sliding scale on the percentage-wise, what is most likely that CU will finish? That's why I think you'll see, for the most part, their over-under is going to be somewhere in that five range, I think, for most people. But I think it's more likely that they'll win more than it is that they'll win less. Okay. So to me, I'll say over. Something dramatic is going to have to happen negatively or positively for me to change my prediction. It's six wins for this football team. Mm-hmm. And so then I would have to say more games in 2018. Nippus 13 had a few buffbacker-related questions. What is the last official weight reported on Davion Taylor? What weight do you think Taylor should be at to best operate the buffbacker position? What is your opinion of the buffbacker position in general? I am in favor of the buffbacker role if we have a guy that can run like the wind and weigh 225 plus pounds. The last I saw Davion Taylor listed at was 6'3", 215. I'll let you start with that. What's your opinion of the buffbacker position? We'll start there and then we'll talk more Did about it. Did you say that was his last... He saw the last thing he saw him was at two fifteen, or you were starting. I, I saw that okay. two fifteen. So I don't know what he weighs, obviously, but looking at him compared to everybody else, he's running track against. He's certainly not a small dude. I mean, I know track stars aren't exactly football players, so um, it's hard to really say. But I mean, he's not tiny. He's bigger than Ryan Moeller. That much I can say for sure. Um, so you have an upgrade there. Now <laughs> he's basically saying I like the buff backer only if Lawrence Taylor is playing it, which seems a little bit unfair. <laughs> um, I agree with his overall point, though, in that Ryan Muller playing that role was pretty unfair to Ryan Muller. Like, I love Ryan Muller. I love how he played. He's too small to be at the line of scrimmage causing disruptions. So I see where he's coming from there. And I think Davion Taylor is much more able to 
alleviate those issues. He's a guy that he's not the biggest linebacker in the world, but he's he can get around guys with speed, and he's physical enough that he can cause some panic up up to the line of scrimmage. To me, yeah. My thing with the buffbacker position is just don't be stubborn with it. If you're going up against Stanford, don't make mm-hmm. a guy. Don't put him like you said. Don't put him in a position where he's right. going to get. Blowing off with blocks yeah, in, I mean, every, in the trenches. I got, it really frustrated me last year watching guys crush Ryan Moeller for struggling at times in that role. Like, you can't just be 240 pounds. If you have a pulling guard running at you and you're Ryan Moeller, you've got no shot. There's no, no matter how good of a player he is, that's just a position that you can't put your guy in if you want to be successful. Yeah. So blaming the kid really made me uncomfortable. And I think the personnel this year allows us to avoid those types of situations more often, I think. In case you didn't see, Davion Taylor ran a 10-5-1 in 100-meter dash to qualify for the finals at the Pac-12 Championships in San Francisco. You don't need to run a 10-5 to be successful in that role. So he's 215. Some guys are going to lose a lot of speed if they put on too much weight. But I think he can put on at least 10 pounds, and mm. you're not worried about his speed. That's for darn I mean, sure. Even if he loses two-tenths of a second, know, right. he's going to be faster than 90% of the dudes on the field. So 225, 230? Or is that pushing it? Right, we'll see. We'll see how. I mean, he's, he looks like he's got more room. I mean, he's a big boy, but it's not like he's, you know, super boxy or anything. Yeah. So he's got some, got some room left to burn. Dude, I don't know how he's going to be as a football player, but holy hell, is he ridiculous as an athlete. Black and gold Josh asked, two general outcome hypothetical. Number one, Mac gets fired, but staff is able to retain this class. Two, Mac wins enough to stay, but recruiting class falls apart. Is either outcome more likely than the other? Is there a win total for either hypothetical? Obviously, the best hypothetical is to win at least eight games and secure both, but not sure if that's realistic. I'll let you jump into this, Tyler. I just want to say, though, the number two scenario of Mac wins enough to stay, but the recruiting class falls apart, I just... Don't see how that would happen. Right, yeah, I don't either. <laughs> That's what I thought when I read that as well. I mean, why would the recruiting class fall apart if this team is successful and the head coach they committed to is around? Uh, you might lose a guy or two. Obviously, there's a lot of people chasing after some big names in our commit list, but the class is not going to fall apart. So I guess the other one, by definition, is more realistic. Um but again, I don't see how if he's fired, the class stays together. So I would say combined between the two scenarios, there's about a 1% likelihood of these things happening. So um, I, I, I guess the first one is maybe slightly more realistic. Black and gold, Josh, with scenario two, is probably thinking they win five games and he stays. But I don't think That's, that would happen. Yeah, I agree. I don't. They, they better go to a bowl game or he's not going to be back. I feel... I. I've kind of defended him the past couple years, I guess, in terms of how should he get fired. I didn't think he should have gotten fired this offseason. If they don't go to a bowl this year, he will be fired, and I will not make an effort to defend that. Colorado asked, there have been a number of preseason publications or a number of preseason predictions that show CU as winning four to five games, and yet the general sentiment here is around seven to eight. Is this discrepancy more of a lack of research on behalf of people making those predictions, or are we fans drinking too much Kool-Aid? 
Definitely both. Uh, isn't it always? Yeah. Don't we always predict three more wins than everybody else does? <laughs> I mean, half the board. Except 2016 when <laughs> we didn't, and then they win 10 games. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, and the, the people, there were people that probably did predict 10 wins who were like, see, I told you. It's like, no, okay, we're just fans now. <laughs> Everyone always thinks we're winning more games than everybody else. That's what part of being a fan is. Uh, this team can win seven or eight games this year. Oh, for sure. I agree with that 100%. If things come together in the right way and the trenches become solid even, they can be really good. And it's inter- it's an interesting this year because normally I crush guys for being or having a lack of knowledge about programs. But this year I really understand it more than in years past. There's a lot of new personnel that we've been able to watch and see on the sidelines for a couple years. And people see LaVisca Chenault had probably 150 total yards receiving this year or whatever it was. Um, And we're like, okay, you know, solid piece, young guy. We'll see how that plays out without really knowing that the entire fan base was screaming at the top of their lungs for him to start the entire year. You know, I I think so. There's a lot of what ifs or, you know, we'll see how this goes and young bodies coming out for CU this year that we have a lot of confidence in, but the national press doesn't. And that yeah. they, sh- I think that's warranted, honestly, you know, they got to prove it and they don't sit next to this team every single day. Yeah. The two biggest ones that those people that are researching and some of those people that do those preseason predictions do more research than others, but they're all probably looking at running back and Philip Lindsay leaving in probably don't really realize the Trayvon McMillan situation and then Isaiah Oliver as well and don't really realize how talented Chris Miller is and certainly he's a redshirt freshman yeah. he's gonna have a few moments where you cringe but I mean, we had a lot of that last year too right I mean I remember that one huge Twitter bait I got with that analyst who had Isaiah Oliver as the 12th highest draft prospect on the team and he was just like well he didn't even start last year he can't be that good it's like is that really like the in-depth analysis that you write 2,000 word articles with you know like anybody who watched Isaiah Oliver for more than 30 seconds knew this dude was going to be a stud in the Pac-12 and get drafted in the first three rounds every single person who watched him for 10 minutes would have said that you know and obviously these guys can't fly out to every single practice and watch all these kids play so you have to rely a little bit on your gut and statistics which don't tell you everything it tells you a lot more about who's playing in front of you so yeah, I think it's a similar situation. People don't see how good this wide receiver core is going to be. People don't see how good the secondary is going to be because we lost capable guys there. But that doesn't mean we don't have any capable guys behind them. Elrod asked, do you guys think there's such a thing as too much bulletin board material? I don't put much stock in national publication preseason rankings slash predictions, except he put in parentheses, except for Phil Steele, who really does his homework. But sure seems like there's an abundance of downplaying the buffs this offseason. Sure has riled up the message board recently. Kind of playing off our last discussion there. Mm. But in a different way. Can there be too much negative stuff out there? Last year, I think you say there was too much. And the receivers in particular may be reading their press clippings. And mm-hmm. I feel like from 2009 to 2015... This program was in a position where there could potentially be too much negativity out there to where like they're embarrassed, even maybe on campus at times. Because of the 2016 season, though, it's so, even though it wasn't last season, it's still recent enough to where I think this program can take more of a, 
annoyance at some of those low expectations and more of a chip on the shoulder versus embarrassment. Does does that make sense? No, I agree. And I and again, I'll probably defend the media a little bit here because it's just so easy for them to look back at our history and say, oh, that one year, what a fluke. You know, they were pretty bad last year. Let's just write a 300-word thing and call them four and eight like they always are, you know? And, yeah, probably that's lazy, but it also makes sense. I mean, you know, who's going to be the one guy that's like, oh, Colorado, I know they lost their whole team, but they're actually good. Like, it's probably not the hill you're going to die on if you're a national yeah. writer. Um, Phil still will do that sometimes, yeah, to, to his point, a little bit. Some people, I mean, he's usually better about that borderline top 25 team who's actually going to be a top five team rather than a team who everyone thinks is going to win three games and he predicts is going to win seven or eight. You know, I'm sure he has done it before. But, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know. Again, I understand both sides of the argument. C was looking at it like last year we, you know, we're too big for our britches and we didn't have the fire that we needed in order to be successful. We'll get it back this year. You know, last year was a fluke, not two years ago was a fluke. And everybody else is looking at it like, they are what they are two years ago as a fluke. So I understand the dynamic on both ends. Blue Sky Buff asked, if CU had a great coach like TCU in Washington, will we be a top 20 program every year? Do we have everything we need in place but the coach? Still dreaming. If Chris Peterson was CU's coach, they're probably a top 20 program. I mean, they're there's not a lot of Chris yeah, Petersons right. out there. Yeah, I think that's, yes. I mean, yes, it's easy to say. If, you, if It's like putting, if you put LeBron in the Nuggets, would they be good? Yes, they would. Weird. You know, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those type of things. It's not easy to find a guy who's considered to be a top 15 coach in the world. You know, so yeah, I'm not going to like fully blame McIntyre for where this program is. It was a bigger dumpster fire before he got here. So it's not exactly McIntyre's fault. You know, I mean, I will say this: TCU is in Dallas. I, I'd much rather have two thousand Division One players within a hundred miles of me than not. You know, so that makes it a little bit easier for them, for sure. Uh, Unless you have an agenda against McIntyre, right? No matter what happens this season, you're going to say that he left the program in much better position than right. he inherited it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, even in a worst case scenario this year, and it's a total disaster. There's a lot more talent on this roster than there was when Embry left. And probably even when Mac or not I'm sorry, McIntyre. Hawkins left too. You know? He mailed so, yeah, he had mailed it in. That right. him getting a fifth year just completely put this program. Right. And and honestly, it's hard to defend John Embry, but that staff was set up to fail no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. They they had a difficult task too, but they certainly didn't help themselves right. any. Last year's class is arguably McIntyre's best class. So it's not like he's a sitting duck per se right now, like Hawkins was. I don't want to, you know, everybody to think that. And obviously the class right now has done pretty well too. So we'll see how it plays out. I will say McIntyre seems to have done a pretty good job, and maybe this is partly Phil Lindsay too. It seems to be a lot cooler to go to CU from Colorado, being for sure, from Colorado, yeah. than it was a few years ago. Yep. CT Buff asked, make an against the grain prediction you could see happening that the rank and file fan might not even have on his or her radar. For example, Jimmy Gilbert is going to lead the conference in sacks. I already wasted mine, and now it's ruined because Trayvon McMillan exists. But I predicted like eight months ago that Alex Fontenot was going to start this year. <laughs> I don't think too many people would have said that. Man, if I was to just throw something random out about who has a big year, 
I mean, maybe I'll just say KB on Ento is going to get drafted. Okay. Because I've been on that train too, so I can I should probably own that. We yeah we do these videos at the top offs like we put so much out there. I'm not really sitting on stuff for this question, right? right? I have a gut feeling, and and I don't know if this is like enough of like a outlandish prediction. I just think the CU offensive line is going to be better than people expect them to be in 2018. It's just a vibe I've gotten around that group. And Clayton Adams talked about how in 2016 they had this really good leadership dynamic in that room. And it was guys like a Shane Callahan that were big leaders, even though they weren't big players on the field. And Clayton Adams loves his offensive line room right now. If Jake Moretti can be healthy, I like Kobe Purcell's potential. But I just have a gut feeling that group is going to be pretty respectable this year. Can I follow that up with, if that turns out to be true, and let's say they're middle of the road in the Pac-12, which would be better than I think people are expecting right right now, do you see any way CU misses a bowl? No. Yeah, I agree with that too. Is that enough of a... Should I keep racking my brain to try? I mean, you could come up with something on Twitter if you see something else, but I think that's good because I think... The consensus is, especially nationally, that the, we won't be able to overcome how weak our offensive and defensive lines are. I'm more bullish on the O-line than I'm the D-line because I, the depth scares the crap out of me on the defensive line right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I wouldn't call myself bullish on either at the moment, but you know how I am. I, I trust my eyes, and when I go see them, if I say, wow, that's a lot more impressive than I was expecting, I'll say that. And then, you know, the predictions will be changed. But right now, I don't have a ton of confidence in either side. Jackson must pose this. Start one, bench one, cut one for the next four years. Yeah, this I didn't like this question. Ty Evans, Blake Stenstrom, Tyler Lytle. This is one of those things that the families are going to find and crush me for. <laughs> this is how it always happens to me. <laughs> it's like a Mary F. Kill scenario <laughs> yeah, here. Yes. <laughs> yeah, all right, you're going first. For once. Uh, Damn it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Start Ty Evans, bench Tyler Lytle, cut Blake Stenstrom. Your turn. Okay, so I would start Ty Evans too. Um, I think he has the most potential. And this is going to be kind of a cop-out, but it is true. And I haven't really seen Tyler Lytle yet at all. So I'm just going to make the easy pick here and say cut Tyler Lytle. For two reasons. One, because like I said, I haven't really watched him throw, so I don't know anything about him and can't say and I have been kind of a Blake Stenstrom stan for the past couple of years. I loved him at that camp when we saw him last year. I think his footwork is extremely developed. He's a very polished kid. I don't think he's the most, you know, he's not going to be the most talented guy you've ever seen. He won't be a first-round pick probably, but there's not a lot of teaching that has to go on with him, and I think he'll be helpful in the locker room whether or not he's playing. So Fair I would enough. say bench, Blake Stenstrom. Buff in Vegas asks, what Pac-12 ranking do you expect the football team to finish higher in during the upcoming season? Recruiting rankings or win-loss record? Ooh. I'm cheating. I'm saying they're going to be the same. They're going <laughs> to be eighth in both. Yeah, that's probably about right. I mean, I guess, man. <sighs> yeah. It's a good question, though. It is, it is. That's a tough question because, I mean, I'll say this. I think, obviously, the recruiting rankings are a lot more you know where the C is going to finish. You're not finishing in the top five pretty much ever in the Pac-12 right. there. So you're finishing somewhere between 6 and 10. I think it's probably the reasonable range there. And I guess maybe I would say 
the win-loss record could be worse than that. So I guess I'll, you know. Like they could finish seventh in the recruiting rankings, probably more likely than finishing seventh in the standings. Right. That's, I don't know. It's That's what I mean. So I think, I mean, if they, they it, I think there's an outside possibility they could finish last in the South this year, which would put them in like 10th or 11th overall probably. So, and I don't think they'll do that in recruiting. So I guess I would say more likely they'll finish higher in recruiting rankings. But then if you finish last in the South and you go through coaching change, then that affects your recruiting ranking too. Yeah, probably. But it's, I, I mean, they'll be ahead of Oregon State though. You know? I don't know. I feel more confident that the recruiting ranking will be somewhere in that middle of the road range than the win-loss record. But I will say that the the upside of the win-loss record is certainly more there than the recruiting right. ranking side. Maximus Buff asked, do you think there will be improvement on defense in DJ Elliott's second year and with two new coaches on staff? If so, how much and where will it come from? D-line, linebacker, secondary, scheme. Uh, three of the four. Everything but secondary. I think last year's secondary was really good. I think this year's secondary will be really good too. I don't see a whole lot of improvement there, but they were good enough last year to do a lot of things. Um, linebacker, you have the same guys coming back, more experience. I think Drew Lewis got more confident as the year went on, I thought. Their backups got more confident as the year went on. So just those guys being more experienced, I feel pretty good about that group this year. Um, D-line can't get any worse, really. <laughs> so I have to assume that that's going to get slightly better as well. And Elliott should be able to adjust, too. And I get all the arguments about him not being aggressive enough. I understand that. And that's what he's done in the past, and I, I agree with that. I like my aggressive defense too, but if you can't stop anybody, it's hard to be aggressive. During spring ball, I asked Mike McIntyre what they were doing to try to fix some of the tackling woes that we saw at times during the 2017 season. And in kind of a condescending way, in a tone, which I don't take personally, we ask some stupid questions sometimes. He said, well... We're going to be more experienced, and if you look back at the 2016 team, those guys missed tackles earlier in their career, and then they became experienced, and they were making plays that they weren't earlier. Yeah. And so this maybe isn't the way Maximus Buff wants his answer, but my answer here is, is why is it going to be better? Experience. Um, yeah, Javier Edwards, Chris Malumba, Jace Frankie, Lyle Tuilomo, those guys have all played a year more. Uh, for Edwards and Malumba, they Never played Pac-12 football before last year. Drew Lewis, he's now in his second year as a full-time starter. Rick Ambo is a fifth-year senior. Evan Worthington, he's a senior. He's got NFL aspirations. Nick Fisher, he's finally it looks like he's going to get his chance to be a starter. He's got to be hungry. Yeah. Trey Udofia, Dante Wigley, they had never played Pac-12 football yeah, last year. And out of injury a little bit too, you know? Like people, we lost Isaiah Oliver, yeah. But people forget he didn't play five games, or I think it was maybe four, but he was hurt in a portion of the of a few others as well. And so was Wiggly, and so was Eudophia. They didn't have a ton of consistent health on that defense last year. Yeah. Um, and it's tough, obviously, on D. It's physical, but there's more of a chance there. And, yeah, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I mean, this is a more experienced group, especially up front. And it's hard to tackle a guy who hasn't been touched for 10 yards. So that obviously is the linebacker in the D-line, and I think this year there'll be less of that. It's easier to finish up guys if they're getting chipped along the way. You know, you can't always tackle a guy for zero yards, but if you hit him two or three times, eventually usually you win out by the end of the game. And going back to 2016, that experience group made Jim Levitt look pretty darn good. And we re- I remember us talking about this on the podcast about he's not coming back. He's, not only does he have aspirations to 
you know, make more money, eventually try to be a head coach. But he's looking at what they're losing, and he's getting out of Dodge. Like, right. Yeah, I mean, everyone's like, oh, Jim Levitt's super aggressive. It's like, oh, yeah, dude. You got Tedrick Thompson, Cheeto Wuzier, and Mikel Weatherspoon in your secondary. You can afford to do that. Yeah. You know, it makes it a little bit easier. Solid pass rush, Jimmy Gilbert. Solid linebacking core. You know, he had all the pieces to allow those guys to go out and make plays. Last year's group didn't have that. So even if you want to be an aggressive defense, it wouldn't have worked out in last year's personnel. And at least the inexperienced guys, Davion Taylor and Chris Miller, that, that you expect most likely to start, they at least have that incredible athleticism. Right. So kind of like a Drew Lewis last year where he even admitted this spring, like, sometimes I didn't know where the other blitz was coming from, and I'm just make, trying to make a play. And a lot of times he did because of that athleticism. Sure. If you're going to be experienced, you at least want those Got other guys to be able to play fast. Yeah, and I think we're bigger too. I mean, we talk about a lot about Ryan Muller being put in terrible positions. If this team is healthy, there's quality size at every position on the field in the defense. You know, that matters too. That D line, you know, Javier Edwards, you know, it was like, oh, size wasn't an issue with him. Well, it was just in the wrong way. Now he's a little bit more in shape. Hopefully he can play a little bit more. Chris Malumba's getting used to Pac 12 offensive lines now. He's an undersized guy, but he's strong too. You know, they got a couple other. They brought in a lot of athletes, a lot of strong guys in this class. All these, I agree with you, all those young guys who don't have a lot of experience, there's a lot of freak athletes on this D. That usually works out. 62v36 wants us to predict the starting offensive and defensive lines against CSU. And then he said, quote, what is going to be the starting O-line, D-line for our bowl game? Yeah, we are going. End quote. You can't predict injuries, and if they're going to a bowl game, I think the starting O-line, D-line, for me at least, is going to be the same. Yeah, I agree. I'll let you lead off here. Yeah, I mean, if we're going 3-4, it's got to be Malumba, Javier Edwards, and... said Mustafa Johnson. Yeah, Mustafa Johnson's probably the most likely now. Offensive line, I mean, there's really too many guys to say. Purcell, why not? Um, Hagler. Yeah, Hagler are probably all locked in for sure. I mean, you're going to be between Will Sherman and, you know, Jake Moretti obviously is locked in if he's healthy too, probably. So that right guard position is going to be, I mean, I guess Sherman is the most likely one. Everyone's saying Josh Kaiser, maybe. The biggest there one well. from, yeah, the biggest the biggest up for debate is going to be left tackle, left guard, assuming that Aaron Hagler is your right tackle uh, with Kaiser and Moretti. And I would say Moretti just being optimistic that they threw him out there with the ones against in the spring game. Left guard is an interesting battle. I said Brett Tons because of an experience factor there. Certainly mm-hmm. William Sherman. I mean, he was, what, 30 on our top post countdown, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to really say until we get to watch those guys for a couple of days if anyone's making any separation there. I, when we talked about on the videos. I think it's good that there's a lot of guys in consideration in terms of, the, you know, that you feel a little bit better about the depth, but you would like – this five to be solidified pretty quickly. Ryan J one two one 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 asked, as always, thanks for the solid work, boys. Since spring practices were closed and nobody has any clue what is going on with this roster, it seems idiotic to ask an in-depth twenty eighteen question. So we'll try for a more idiotic question. <laughs> Who plays the most snaps at quarterback coming the twenty nineteen and twenty twenty seasons? Thanks. I mean, we did. I got to see three spring practices this year, and I talked about the fact that it was actually pretty consistent in terms of who was standing out through those three. So I'm not, I'm not complaining as much. 
I appreciate this. the snark, though. <laughs> yes. You're on my team, and I like that. Although I can't say anything because I wasn't able to go to anything. So <laughs> I, I begged them and yelled at them to do it. They opened a few, and I didn't even go. So <laughs> Poo-poo on me. All right. So you touched on a little bit of this with your earlier question with the quarterbacks, but I'll let you uh, kind of talk about who, who you think plays the most snaps at quarterback. I mean, Montez. And then the year after, right? Right. So I don't see a likely scenario in which Montez is not the starter next year. Man, in 2020, it's probably... You probably have to feel most confident right now in Tyler Lytle, I would say. Even though I haven't seen a whole lot of them, that seems to be the track that the team is most confident in right now. Like It seems to be that's what they're doing. Neuer's kind of placed himself into that career pretty good backup role, it feels like, um, even though I think he would have a chance. Um, if Lytle develops fully, though, I don't think Neuer can compete with his upside. By 2020, given the landscape of college football and how this works out, there's got to be a decent chance whoever doesn't win the backup between Tyler Lytle and Sam Neuer this year might think about transferring, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably reasonable. But we can't, I mean, can't say that definitively right now. So, for 2020, these are my percentages. Tyler Lytle, 40%. Sam Neuer, 25%. Ty Evans, 25%. And Stenstrom, 10%. You probably disagree with that a little bit because you're a little bit higher on Stenstrom than me, right? Uh, Yeah, probably a little, but I think more or less that's correct. I mean, they all have a decent shot. I mean... 40, 10 as your highest and lowest is pretty good. I mean, I think all four have a reasonable chance. I'd probably throw less on Ty Evans starting as a true freshman, right? He would be a true freshman in 2020? No, he'd be a redshirt freshman. A redshirt, yeah. Even so, that's unlikely in my eyes. So I'd probably have him a little bit less only because all three of the guys in front of him are going to have to be pretty bad, and I don't see that happening in order for him to start. Well, things are even, though, even between a redshirt freshman and a junior, which Lytle would be at that point. Aren't you going to go with the redshirt freshman? Uh, maybe. I mean, I don't, it depends a little bit on where the team is, I guess. You know, like if you feel like you're going to be – I don't know. It would, you'd have to, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. I would think he would probably go with the more experienced guy, and because Evans has so much time, I don't know. It's a good question, though. It got us thinking here. DeLaBuff62 asked, any update on what's going on with Greg Rogers? What's his timeline for finding a new school and joining his new team? Wondering if UCLA's quarter system changes the process, i.e. he's in a term and really wouldn't be able to start summer school somewhere and therefore doesn't join until fall camp. I've asked around about Greg Rogers to sources, and they don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think it's... I think it's CU... I don't want to uh, word this correctly. I just don't think it's going to happen. I'll say that. Damn. I hope you're wrong. Greg Rogers is dope. All right. I was pissed when he didn't come. Boner Buff asked, is Braden Rome from Perry in Phoenix getting any interest from CU? His offers are Oregon, Cal, Boise State, Arizona State, and Iowa State. He's starting to blow up. They've evaluated him, is all I know. I think he took an unofficial to see you, I want to say, if memory serves, but he is not a name that's come across my desk, for lack of a better term. <laughs> uh, so I guess I'll keep... If Braden Rome... Rome? It's R-O-H-M-E. Rome. Rome. Okay. Rome sounds about right. 
uh, if if his name pops up on any way, I'm gonna jump all over that boner buff. <laughs> Jesus, you've been waiting to say that, haven't you? No, it just popped in my head and it sounded inappropriate, and I regret saying it, but I'm not gonna edit it out. <laughs> Good. Moving on to the next question. <laughs> IRL Himmel one asked. We seem to have an uptick in getting some visits and interest from the four-star players. How many do four-star players do you think we will end up with at the end of this recruiting cycle? Other than just having a winning slash bowl season, what else do you think this coaching staff or program needs to do to land the type of classes us old guys are used to from the 90s? Let's start out here. How many four-star players do you think they end up with this recruiting cycle? Which is tough to answer again, the whole... Yeah. I'll say three. Or four. Okay. That's not very specific, I guess. I got to work out my prediction. I say they win six games. Right. I that agree. means I think McIntyre is back, and then, which helps them retain their class. I'm going to say they they sign five or six. Okay, so I would love that, but they've only signed six in like the last five classes combined. So that would be a huge bump. Like he said, there's an uptick in getting visits and interest from four-star players. <laughs> yes, there is. I mean, that would probably... I mean, six four-stars would probably put you in the top 30. Okay, you put me in a, you, you talk me into five. I'll say five. Okay. I mean, it's... That's not that outlandish. No, no, no I don't think it's outlandish at all. But, I mean, they're going to have to have a good year, obviously, to, in order to do that. That would be nice. I mean, they've definitely... They appear to have a better trajectory right now for this class than they've had in a while. There's definitely a little bit of momentum being built, and if they can keep it up, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if they got to that. Bill McCartney was a once-in-a-lifetime type of personality recruiter. Uh, Some things were working in their favor with the Big 8 back then, being down in certain areas that allowed them to have some of those successful classes. I think if... It's not to say Colorado can't recruit really well and win a lot of games with the right coach and the right momentum and Boulder and the Flatirons and blah, 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 blah. But if you're sitting around waiting for that to happen again, you're probably setting yourself up for disappointment. Yeah, I mean, it's a different world. It's a lot easier. I mean, they were good. You know, I guess they were good, you know, after they start, got a few of those classes. But if you're a top five team, <laughs> you're going to start rolling in. You know, it kind of rolls on itself. You know, it builds up, builds up, builds up. So... I mean, yeah, maybe maybe that'll happen one day and we'll get back to there, but it's not going to happen overnight, most likely. Jacksimus asked, if you had to live on a deserted island and could only eat one thing and watch one CU game on a continuous loop, what would you choose? Again, I like these questions in this mailbag. This is good stuff. If I could only eat one thing, does brownies and mint ice cream count as one thing? Well, you're going to die from a diabetic coma right. in about a month, which I sure. guess you're on a deserted island, it doesn't yeah. matter, but... <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's my guilty pleasure. It's like the one thing that you put in front of me, I'll eat as much as you sit there and give okay. me, which is problematic, so I don't eat it much anymore. Uh, does it have to be football? He didn't specify that, so if you want to go in a different direction. I mean, hmm. That New Mexico NCAA tournament game. Albuquerque when they beat okay. UNLV. That was pretty awesome just because of what, like the step that it took for the program. I'm not going to say 62 to 36 because that's boring. and never- that's, that's what I thought, too. That was the first thing that came to mind. Yeah. So I can't remember the score of this game right now for a second, but what was the, the, the 
year Callahan got fired and we put up a huge number, it was like ended up being like I don't know, sixty five fifty or something like that. That game was pretty awesome too. Yeah. For my food, I'm going carne asada tacos. <laughs> and nice. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this my home teller. I'm not trying to just eat myself to death like you. I'm gonna I'm gonna learn how to fish. I'm assuming this island is water. I'm gonna learn how <laughs> oh, to okay. I'm gonna learn how to build a fire and then I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna get some fish tacos going too. I can mix it up. Tuesday it'd be fish taco day on my dessert island. One thing, bro. Well, <laughs> you could have cheated and said tacos, and then your story would have worked. I would try to be a little bit more specific here. <laughs> but no, it, it says I mean, you can only eat one thing. <laughs> well, I'm thinking that's like what's provided for me. <laughs> I can't. I can't then go. Well, what happens if like a wild boar walks in front of me and I've got like this thing? I can't kill it and eat it. Not according to this scenario. All right. Uh, just tacos. Thanks, tacos. Tyler. Yeah, see what I mean? <laughs> I would say, like, peanut butter would be pretty pretty awesome to have. Peanut butter? Because that, like, that's something that could really sustain you. And right, it, actually but it also well. feels like, doesn't peanut butter feel like something that's really good, but if you had to think about it and you had to eat it for the rest of your life, like, your mouth would just be, like, <laughs> in perpetual frustration? <laughs> <laughs> probably. Probably. Now, if I want to get really healthy, like an avocado would be a way to go. Yeah, I'm. Tr- I am trying to. I, I, can I just go with fruit? I would. Lo- if you just gave me assorted fruit for my whole life, I'd be really okay. I'd be pretty happy about that. I'll let you have that. Okay. Thank you. Now, can I mix these tacos up? Apparently, yes. That's okay. why you could say tacos. Then you could. No one specified your meat. You can have them all. If I spent a lot of time thinking about the CU game on a continuous loop question, I probably wouldn't answer it this way. And like you said, 62-36 is easy. It's too convenient. I'm not going to go with that. The 2016 win over Utah, just covering this program, interacting with this star fan base for so long, and for them to enjoy a division championship with a guy like Cephal Lufau just carrying this team on his back, being basically a glorified fullback at the quarterback position. And that that would be in my top five for sure. That game was so agonizing, though. <laughs> but yeah, you know it the was, outcome now. So you don't I, have to I agonize. Know, but it was it was not really a good football game by any no. stretch. If you go back, but just to the result of it. Yes, and, the result yeah, is amazing. Yeah, yeah you're you're right though. Aesthetically pleasing <laughs> games probably not there. I just yeah. remember that <laughs> that game just sitting there the whole time and like my body was frozen. You know what? I couldn't yeah, get out. Yeah. I couldn't get out even though I wanted to. <laughs> I am gonna. I am gonna say sixty-two thirty-six. Just watching Chris Brown, just and then knowing Nebraska, what happened to them after that game? I, it's an easy answer, Tyler, but it's got it's got to be the answer. The more the I Oklahoma think about game it. in two thousand seven was pretty yeah. awesome too. When I was yeah. in college, Dan Hawkins is the head coach. I know. And I did a whole Throwback Thursday feature talking with Cody, and I love Cody Hawkins. And I just that's the one game when I think about like good college experiences. That was up there for me. That was a, that was that was a, great a day. fun night, I'll tell you what. <laughs> a few quick basketball topics before we sign off. The July evaluation period is around the corner, but right now they only have one scholarship available for, for 2019 because Naaman Rice is the only senior. But, I mean, again, it's hard to predict attrition, but it seems like this program, there's always one piece of it. Right. There's a few guys that, <laughs> you know, if, they're, if, they're, if they seem close to trying to get to the Sweet 16 or they're really getting that upward trajectory i could see them trying to get one more vital piece yeah 
George King participated in the NBA Combine, did well at the Portsmouth. It was kind of sound like a lukewarm deal for him at the Combine. I think people thought he was better than expected. I, okay. To me, it's just I can't believe that he got there, so it's incredible for him um, to have that much consistency for a guy who's struggled so much to find it at times. I mean, the most frustrating thing about him has always been he's got NBA tools. I mean, his size, his rebounding, his length for you know versatility, it's what the NBA is today. But he's never really like put it all together, and that's what the big frustrating thing. I, I, the the ultimate issue with him is he's 24. I mean, it's hard to draft a kid who's that old, you know. Do you so, do you think we'll if see. George King was not on a blue blood program, but a top 25 talent program throughout his career, and maybe wasn't asked to be as much of the guy as he was at CU? I feel like he would have thrived better in that situation. He would have been more consistent, that's for sure. That doesn't necessarily get you drafted. I mean, I, I do think... No, I'm do not think talking drafted. I was just talking, like, maybe there's... Uh, uh, the fan base is a little bit frustrated with what he produced. Yeah, but I think it's it's one of those frustrations that, because they see the talent there, right. it's not like they think he sucks. It's that, look at all this that there is that's there. He could have been special, special. And he was pretty good. I mean, it's not to say he wasn't a good player. He was pretty good, but it just seemed like there were times where it could have been one step higher. Uh, but, I mean, to, to come where he came from and how he came to see you, obviously, he had a very successful career. So I, I hope it works out for him. I will say he does translate. If he makes an NBA team somehow, I think he'll be better than expected be, be for exactly what you just said. I think he, if you put him in a specific role and ask him to do it and it's not lead this team, he would be so much more comfortable. Kim English was on the 2017-18 Under Armour 30 Under 30 list. He was a rumored candidate for the Missouri State head coaching job, which is crazy in the sense that he's only been a full-time assistant coach for two years. He was in operations with Tulsa the year before that, so three years. I mean, it's pretty obvious he's not long for Boulder, right? Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would not get your hopes up that he's going to be around for a long time, which is frustrating, but, man, he is an incredible guy, um, super likable guy. And does a great job with Twitter, interacting mm-hmm. with people in all facets. Um, whether it be, you know, he always is like retweeting stuff about coaching and how you can motivate guys. That's super relatable, I think, to most people. He's just he's very smart, and he's going to be extremely successful in whatever he ends up doing. And I hope CU fans cheer him on, just like they do with Rodney. I mean, I think a lot of CU fans are really happy to see Rodney find success at DU and we'll be following him. So I'm hoping that that same thing will happen wherever Kim English eventually ends up too. Spencer Dinwiddie was one of three finalists for the NBA's Most Improved Player Award. He's not going to win that, but just to be one of three guys for that, very cool. Uh, yeah. He was finally given an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's – oh, man, his NBA career was borderline frustrating for a little while there because – it's, every time he played, you could see he was good enough to be out there, and people still weren't giving him a chance to come back from his injury. It doesn't surprise me at all to see him be successful in the NBA, and that's what's so frustrating about his early time there. He's going to make a ton of money for somebody that's not Brooklyn probably down the stretch here, and I can't wait to see what he does in his career. I'm really excited for him. He deserves it, and speaking of great guys, man, he is one of the best people out there. And he'll do a lot for a lot of people in his life. So good for him. You know, we'll be rooting for him, of course. This season had to be good enough to where we don't have to worry about that opportunity getting 
pulled from him. Maybe Brooklyn goes in a different direction at some point, but he's still going to get that shot in the NBA, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily would say he's a guy who's starting in the NBA for 10 years, but he can be a, a borderline point guard or really good backup, like a Corey Joseph type who's making a ton of money right now and is very reliable on multiple playoff teams, Spurs, Raptors, you know. That type of guy who's, depending on his role, is going to fill it and be, you know, th- those type of guys are what you need to win titles. I mean, Sean Livingston is the perfect example. If the Warriors didn't have Sean Livingston, their roster would look completely different. You know, that sixth or seventh guy is extremely important if you want to win rings. And I think Spencer Dinwiddie is going to be a guy who ends up going to one of those up-and-coming teams in the, in the, the NBA and helps them go far in the playoffs someday. Team Colorado is back for another run in the TBT tournament. It's been a lot of fun. Last summer was kind of disappointing, but this team has been, the last three years, has had a lot of success in that tournament. Just pulled up their team roster. These are the guys that are committed. Dominique Coleman, Chris Copeland, Austin Default, Marcus Hall back. We got Marcus Relford, Richard Roby, Shannon Sharp, Xavier Talton. A lot of the guys that have been playing with them, Calvin Williams, Jeremy Williams, I gotta check in with Bo Gamble on this, but it sounds like this might be their last run. Is that the vibe? Yeah, I mean, I don't, where, where did I see that? I, think I don't know. I it, does, it does seem like that's kind of the case, and I don't know. To be, I'm gonna be honest. I haven't really been as in touch with it this year for whatever reason. Like it's, it's not hitting me as like I can't wait for this to happen this year, and I don't know why that is. Um, well, last year was a little disappointing. I guess yeah. I don't think that really has anything to do. Maybe it's just I got too many other things going on that I haven't really given it enough thought and effort and I need to be better about that because it is a really cool opportunity for them you know like I don't want to downplay the situation I think it's pretty cool and obviously it's gotten Marcus Hall a lot of recognition around the country which is great uh, so we'll see how it plays out I mean I- I'm hoping it goes better for him than last year though all right Tyler is there anything we're not talking about I feel like we kind of ran the gamut here no it was a good show man nice to get back talking about CU it's Closer uh, closer than we think. Football season's coming around the corner here. Got camps. We already talked about how much I love camp, so can't wait to get out there and check that stuff out. A reminder, this podcast was brought to you by EverPillow by Infinite Moon. It's ever-customizable and everything you could want in a pillow. They did their research and sourced the best natural materials for you for the best price. Oh, and it's ridiculously comfortable. When your new EverPillow arrives, it will come with a drawstring bag to store your extra fill so you can customize the loft and shape to give you the perfect spinal alignment. Why not customize your pillow and say goodnight to kink necks and morning aches and pains? EverPillow, made by us, perfected by you. Use GoBuffs in the cart to receive 10% off your next purchase. Visit InfiniteMoon.com. Appreciate you guys for tuning into this podcast. We're going to be back again. Camp's just a couple months away. We'll be back with another mailbag show before that gets started.